So for the benefit of any, any visitors this morning, welcome. If you're a visitor, welcome, by the way. We're so glad you're here with us. So, but for your benefit and for anyone who's listening to a recording, then, yeah, I'm, I'm Mark. I'm one of the elders that oversees New Life Community Church across our various locations. And, and can I just say that it's really, really good to be back here at our Fordingbridge venue. Uh, Deb and I are really glad to be here because throughout September, we have been serving at our other venues. Uh, and since we returned from the Commissioner Festival at the end of August, we've seen some really exciting times uh, across, across the church. We launched our monthly worship and word meetings in Downton. And we officially launched NLCC in Verwood, although I guess, strictly speaking, it was kind of a, a relaunch because that was the culmination of a, a process of adopting Verwood Family Church into the NLCC family. And, and so it's been a significant month for us as New Life Community Church, as a family, as God has blessed us and, and moved us into meeting in now four locations. And it's really exciting to be a part of the church at such a time as this. And, and so as, as one family that meets across various locations, we're, we're today, like Drew said, starting a new preaching series about discipleship. And we're going to spend the next few weeks exploring what it looks like to be a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. And we really believe that it's going to be helpful to us, not just as individual believers, but as a family seeking to grow into a greater maturity in relationship with Jesus. And we're going to explore over the next few weeks what it looks like to be deeply rooted in Christ and standing firmly on the goodness and on the faithfulness of God. And we want to be so deeply rooted, standing so firmly, that when these inevitable storms of life come along, we will not be swayed to the left or to the right, nor will we be uprooted. And that really, I guess, is, is the goal of this preaching series. And I have the, the privilege of kicking that off today. Now, we're probably going to be jumping around a bit in the Bible today. So can I encourage you that if you're the kind of person that likes to take notes, because we're going to be jumping around so much, you might simply want to write down the references that I'm going to throw out at you. And then you can look at them in your own time. If you're not the kind of person that likes to take notes, then maybe you could consider whether as part of your discipleship, it might be a good time to start taking notes. And we're going to start by looking at a couple of scriptures that's really going to help us shape our thinking today. So if you do have a Bible with you, why don't you turn with me firstly to Ephesians chapter 5, where in verses 1 and 2 we read this. So it's Ephesians chapter 5 in the first couple of verses. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And now maybe you want to keep a finger in that whilst we also turn to John's Gospel and chapter 13, where in verse 13 following we read this. So this is John 13 and verse 13 following. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example 
that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So let's pray and let's get into the word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this is bread and this is life and this is truth for us. Father, I ask now that, Holy Spirit, you'd help me to so speak and help each of us have ears to hear and hearts and minds to understand and apply what you want to say to your children this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I guess a good place to start would be to define what we mean by disciple. And with that in mind, I wonder if you can see a common thread between our two scriptures. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he writes, follow God's example. And in John's gospel, he records Jesus saying, I have set you an example. So what is explicit in Ephesians is implied in John's. We are called to follow. And at the most fundamental or basic level, that's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is one who follows. So a disciple of Jesus is one who follows Jesus. Now do you remember how Jesus called his first disciples? So this is Matthew chapter 4 and verses 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, said Jesus, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So that's the invitation of Jesus. He invites them to follow him, and that's what they do. Both sets of brothers leave their nets and their boats, and they follow Jesus. He simply asks them to follow, and that's exactly what they did. So that has to be our starting point. We're not called to follow a system. We're not called to follow a set of rules. We're not called to set, follow a set of regulations. We're called, called to follow a person, an actual person. And his name is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. So this is about relationship then, not rules. Why don't you turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went up a mountainside and called to him those that he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So here we've got Mark's account of the calling of the first disciples. And we read firstly that he called them to be with 
him. That's the most important thing. Everything else the disciples did came out of their being with Jesus. Now, some of you might have heard of Francis Chan. He's written several books. One of them is called Multiply. And in that book, he makes this following observation. And I think it's a really helpful summary of what it means to be a disciple. So this is Francis Chan's words. Basically, a disciple is a follower, but only if we take the term follower literally. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is as simple as obeying his call to follow. When Jesus called his first disciples, they may not have understood where Jesus would take them or the impact it would have on their lives, but they knew what it meant to follow. They took Jesus' words literally and began going everywhere he went and doing everything he did. That's the point of being a disciple of Jesus. We imitate him, carry on his ministry, and become like him in the process. Now, the verses that I read from Matthew's Gospel introduced us to the first disciples of Jesus. So let's just consider these, these first disciples for a moment. What was it about these guys that qualified them to be disciples of Jesus? Were they particularly clever? Were they in any way exceptional? I don't, I don't believe they were. And I think the Bible makes that quite clear. Because you can go to Acts 4 and read that Peter and John, they got banged up for proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. And, and the next day, they are brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, and Peter carries on proclaiming Jesus. And specifically, that salvation can be found in his name alone. And this prompts this response from the Jewish leaders. So this is Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So do you see what I'm getting at? They weren't particularly well-educated. They weren't special or clever. They were just ordinary people. But they had been with Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that tremendously encouraging. And I'm reminded of where it says in James chapter 5 that Elijah was a man just like us. So it seems that anyone then can be a follower of Jesus. Regardless of education, regardless of background, anyone can be a follower of Jesus. All we need to do is hear the call, answer the call, and be with him. It's a thing that runs right through the New Testament. Paul underlines it when he writes to the church in Corinth. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness 
our holiness and our redemption. Therefore, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I mean, there's, a, there's probably a sermon right there, isn't there? Just in those verses. But for now, I hope that we can see that our extraordinary God, our extraordinary God, seems more than happy to work through ordinary people like you and me. And I, I hope that you agree with me that there's something really beautiful about how God takes these ordinary vessels, these are-nots, and works extraordinary things in and through them, things that only he could do. He takes the broken and he makes them whole. He takes the dead and he brings them to life. He takes the ordinary and he makes it extraordinary. And he takes the natural. He adds his super and the result is supernatural. It's quite amazing and I think it's quite beautiful. Let's zero in for a minute on just one of these first disciples. Peter is one of Jesus' closest disciples. And if you know your Bible at all, you'll, you'll probably know that he's a little bit hot-headed, perhaps, but Jesus looked beyond that. I, I love how God calls things as they are before they are. So perhaps you'll remember that Peter's actual name was, was Simon. But Jesus prophetically calls him Peter, which means the rock. Because Jesus looks beyond the here and now. He looks forward to what Peter can become in, in, in God's power. The rock on which he would build his church. But Peter would blow it big time. And he'd go on to deny Jesus not once, but three times. Despite his earlier protests that he would never deny Jesus. So Peter denies Jesus three times. But after the resurrection, we have this wonderful account of Jesus appearing to his disciples, cooking them breakfast on the shore of Galilee. You'll find this in John's Gospel, chapter 21. And in verse 15 following, we read this. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him this third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, three times Peter had denied Jesus. Now, Peter restores Jesus. Uh, Peter, sorry, Jesus restores Peter. Got to get it the right way around. Jesus restores Peter and commissions him three times. Now, I find that interesting. Three denials, but then in this restoration, Jesus restores Peter three times. One commission for each denial. And this commission is to shepherd others, following the example of, his, of the great shepherd Jesus. And then, later, Peter himself will go on to pass this example on. And he writes this in 1 Peter chapter 5. 
To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also was sharing the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So do you, see, do you see the path here? The great shepherd restores Peter, calls him to be a shepherd. And then Peter is, is able to entrust what he has learned and received from Jesus to others and passes it on. See, Peter made mistakes. But God used his weaknesses to show his redeeming power. He restores Peter, who's then able to go on and be an example to others of what the redeeming, gracious work of Jesus can achieve in a person. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter was too scared to admit that he even knew Jesus. But I I just love that he wasn't written off because of that. He wasn't written off because of his failure. Again, I find that tremendously encouraging because every single day I fail. Every single day, I fall short of God's standard. That's why we need the grace of God, isn't it, brothers and sisters? That's why we need to come to him, receive mercy, receive grace, and the transforming power of his amazing love. Just remember that Peter was just an ordinary, unschooled man. So how did he get from denying Jesus to being the rock on which the church was built. How did he get from there to here? I mean, yeah, it's true that he spent three years with Jesus, but that didn't seem to stop him from denying him. So what changed? Firstly, the resurrection happened. And the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus is the most significant event in all of history. John Piper calls it the blazing center of history. Peter had seen the resurrected Christ. It was a resurrected Jesus that cooked breakfast on the beach, restored and recommissioned Peter. Jesus had been betrayed. He had been denied. He'd been mocked. He'd been beaten. He'd been tortured, and after all of that, was nailed to a wooden cross. He had died. He'd been buried in a tomb. But now, now he was alive. He'd been raised to new and everlasting life. And then after Jesus ascended to his Father's right hand, he sent his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, just as he had promised. And Peter, filled with the Spirit and filled with the joy of the eternal resurrection life, is now front and centre as the church starts to simply explode. And everything that Peter did then that had any eternal value, winning converts to Jesus, demonstrating and proclaiming the gospel through preaching and through signs and wonders, all of this he achieved in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of the risen 
and ascended Christ. That's what changed. After the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Spirit, there was this new courage to stand before the Jewish leaders and proclaim salvation in the Christ's name alone. And he also had his desire to equip other leaders to care for the flock under their care. So what what does this mean for all of us then? Well, let's go back to our starting scripture. So we're back in Ephesians 5. It's the Apostle Paul writing here. And he commends us to follow God's example and walk in the way of love. He reminds us that we are dearly loved children. He reminds us that if we walk in the way of love, we imitate Jesus. And that walking in the way of love means self-sacrifice. So that's kind of like a summary of that verse. Let's unpack it a little bit. Firstly, God has set us an example that he invites us to follow. Jesus said something very similar in John chapter 13. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So there's this invitation. It's an exhortation, really, to follow God's example and walk in the way of love. So being a disciple of Jesus and following Jesus means walking in God's way, the way of love. And love prefers, prefers others. Love means setting aside our own needs and desires and preferring instead to meet the needs of others. That's what sacrificial living looks like. And it looks like that God really loves that, that it's like a, a really pleasing aroma to him, like incense. And Paul offers Jesus as a model of what walking in the way of love looks like. And in writing that he gave himself up for us, he reminds us of the depth of Christ's love for us. He loved us so much that he gave himself up for us. He went to that cross willingly and he offered himself up in our place. And so I guess the burning question this morning, I guess, and I'm asking myself this question just as much as I am throwing it out to you guys. And when you point, one one finger points out, but three point back. So when I throw this question out, I need to hear this as much as anyone. How is your walk going? How is your walk going? If following God's example in Christ means walking in the way of love, how's that going for you and for me? Now, each of us will be at different stages of our walk with Jesus. I get that. So maybe you're here this morning or you're listening to this recording and you just started out on this journey. Maybe you just heard the invitation that Jesus puts out. Come, follow me. Maybe you're hearing that invitation for the first time. Follow me. And maybe you've heard that call and you're kind of on the edge of some kind of a response. See, Jesus called two sets of brothers, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. He called the sons of Zebedee, James and John. He calls these guys and they find themselves at a bit of a crossroads. 
So they, this crossroads. So they can either ignore the call, go back to their boats and their comfortable lives that they know, or they can follow Jesus. So maybe you are at a crossroads in your life. Maybe you know that Jesus is calling you. All around this room, there are people who've heard that call and responded by following Jesus. But if you're hearing the call of Jesus for the first time this morning, I'm going to ask you to be really brave in a few minutes. And I'm going to ask you to come forward, receive prayer, come and meet this Jesus. Jesus says, come. And I'm going to ask you to be really brave and make a physical step, a symbolic step, to come forward in response to that invitation. And I'm telling you that now because I want you to be prepared when I kind of actually physically give that call. Now, I know that won't apply to most of us, but there is another group of people that I believe Jesus wants to speak to this morning. Maybe some of you feel that you are at a crossroads yourself. You're, you're already following Jesus. Maybe you followed him for years. But somehow you kind of just feel that you've disconnected from him. You might feel that he's a bit distant. Maybe you've become aware that you are not feeling quite as devoted to Jesus as you feel you ought to be. But there's a part of you that kind of just really wants to reconnect with him. See, Peter disconnected from Jesus when he denied him. And he did it three times. But Jesus wonderfully restored Peter. And I am confident that he can wonderfully restore you too. So if you fall into that camp, I'm going to ask you guys to be brave with me as well and come forward and we can pray together. And I, and I realize, you know, I, I don't know if altar calls have kind of fallen out of fashion a little bit. But it does take a lot of courage to come forward in response to that. But this, this could be a really significant step for, for one or two or, or more this morning. And there's one other group that I feel especially that I want to pray for. And maybe you're facing some kind of storm right now. The thing about storms is that they can threaten to batter us. They're kind of the wind and the, and the rain. They can kind of, kind of batter us and beat us down. So storms threaten to do that. But if we make Christ our refuge, we can weather the storms. So someone asked me the other day what I thought Christian maturity looked like. It's not a complete answer. But I think, in part, part of what maturity looks like is the ability to withstand the storms because our confidence lies entirely on the eternal and immovable rock that is Jesus Christ. So you might not feel completely defeated by the storm. You know that Jesus is with you and that he won't let go of you, but you just want brothers or sisters to stand with you in that. That's okay. I think that's okay. And I'm happy to stand with you in, in, if that's your situation. And I, I'd, I'd love to pray with you. And maybe you've been journeying for a little bit, a little while, and, and your feet are just feeling metaphorically a little bit calloused from the journey. Maybe you picked up a bit of dust. So maybe you're standing with one another, praying for each other, loving each other. Maybe in part, 
That's what washing one another's feet might look like. And if, and if that's, that's you, if, if metaphorically you, are, you just want someone to come and wash your feet because you're feeling tired from the journey and you've picked up a bit of grime and dirt from it, if, if by praying with you I can wash your feet, I would love to do that. And if, if you feel more comfortable, if it wasn't me, just seeking out someone that you know better and, and trust in the Lord, then that's also fine. Just find someone who cares for you, that you know loves you, and is going to stand with you in that storm. And if you're listening to a recording, and you wish to respond to any of those invitations, can I encourage you to, give, to get in touch with us through our website, or through whoever, whichever link brought you to this this morning. Otherwise, I hope that what we've seen, that being a devoted disciple of Jesus is about relationship. It's not about rules. Discipleship happens out of relationship. Relationship with our good shepherd and relationship with the brothers and sisters that he's given to us. Dearly loved children of the living God. And it's about following God's example in Christ. And as Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, offering ourselves as living sacrifices. And it's about walking the way of love, knowing that God is really pleased when we live like that. So if I can ask the band to come back. We're going to worship again together. We're going to just be open to the Holy Spirit. And as we worship, if you feel that God is speaking to you and you've got a word of knowledge or a prophetic word that you think is going to help people this morning, I'm going to encourage you to share that with Drew. He's going to, he's going to weigh any, any prophetic words as we worship. Um, but it would be really good to build another, one another and strengthen one another up in God. So I'm going to really encourage you to be open to the Holy Spirit as we come back into this time of worship now. <coughs> And if you fall into any of those categories that I mentioned, I'm going to ask you to come to the front. Don't delay. Come, come down. Hear the voice of Jesus saying, come. You're not coming to me. I'm, I'm just a, a vessel. You're coming to Jesus. You're responding to his call. So if the Spirit is prompting you, don't hang about. Come down. I'd love to pray with you. But we'll, let's all stand. Let's all respond to the grace of Jesus Christ. And let's celebrate him as we consider his power to transform lives by his Holy Spirit. Amen.